Christ my Savior, you rescued me. I'm a nice guy today. 35 years ago, I do not know how my wife said I do when we got married because I was not the man I am today. You know why? Because Jesus has set me free. He's rescued me. He's changing me like he's changing you. When you walk with Jesus, you will be changed. That's just a fact. Uh, Remember last week we talked about the fruit that starts appearing in your life. Fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, self-control. All those beautiful, beautiful things that make you a beautiful person. And Jesus has set us free. And... uh, uh, today we're going we're gonna to talk about, you know, real hard issues, real life kind of stuff. Let me preface it this way. When you read a passage of Scripture, you can read it from the perspective of Jesus, right? You can read the passage and the narrative from the perspective of the person involved in the story. You can then... Uh, pretend you're in a plane and get 30,000 feet high and look at the big picture. Anytime you approach the Word of God, there's different angles that you can look at it and, and it just comes alive because you can see all these different areas. Uh, you can see Jesus' perspective, an observer's perspective, if you're the one being healed perspective. But I want to point out just an obvious thing. Jesus is just preached the Sermon on the Mount, and I want you to notice, I'm just going to tell you this, I mean, you'll see it in the text, but I just want you to notice it. Jesus has, in fact, it's the very first, uh, I don't know if our TV's working, but let's see, earlier today it was like freaking out, and, um, but Jesus showed special compassion towards those in the culture or our society who were at the bottom rung of society. Did you know that? Jesus was very tender-hearted towards the downtrodden. In fact, it says in the Old Testament that Jesus would not, as the Messiah, even snuff out a smoldering wick. You know how wicks smolder and it just kind of fills the air with smoke? It says that his compassion is so great, he doesn't even snap a bruised reed or uh, snuff out a smoldering wick. Jesus is going to just jump out at you as being very compassionate. So I hope you have your Bibles with you. You're in Matthew chapter 8. We're going to look at the first four verses. We're actually going to look at four different people or four different sets of people. And I, I hope that you start to see this image of Jesus and how he relates to your heart. Beginning at verse 1, chapter 8. It says, when he came down from the mountain, because he just preached this incredible sermon, great crowds followed him. And behold, a leper came to him and knelt before him, saying, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will Be clean. And immediately his leprosy was cleansed. And Jesus said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go show yourself to the priest 
and offer the gift that Moses commanded for a proof to them. Now, surface level, you think, okay, this guy is sick. He has leprosy. He wants to be healed. He evidently thinks that Jesus can do it after hearing this sermon. He believes that he has the power to do it and that he's willing to do it. So he comes up to Jesus and he, he, he does something totally out of the norm. Because when you're a leper, you're unclean. In fact, if you were to get a rash or a bubble or a, a lesion on you, you would actually go to the priest and you would show it to the priest and say, Priest, what is this? And the priest would examine your skin and he'd say, Ah, oh, just psoriasis, go home. If it clears up after seven days, if it doesn't clear up, come back and I'll, I'll look at you again. But if he saw that it is what modern day we call Hansen leprosy, it's the kind of leprosy, this leprosy is, is, is horrible. It's, it's tragic. Leprosy, the kind that's in the Old Testament, it's the worst thing you could get. The worst. And here's why. Once your body gets affected, you start to lose feeling. And they thought at first that all the sores and the open, open sores and the cankers that you come all over your body was a result of the leprosy. It's actually a result of being numb. If you're numb and you touch a fire, what happens? Nothing. So you just leave it in there. There have been documented cases now that the people that have leprosy have become so numb to their surroundings that they're constantly damaging their body. And you begin to stink. Your, your body isn't functioning right. And in Leviticus chapter 13, God had a whole uh, chapter devoted to how to deal with leprosy. And leprosy, boy, if you had it, you had to stay at least six feet away. You could not touch another human being because it was contagious. And if it was windy that day or if there was a breeze... You had to stay 150 feet away from someone. Now think about that. You're married. You get leprosy. You never get to touch your wife again. Never get to hug your child again. You don't get to go down to the marketplace and buy food because nobody wants to come near you. Some rabbi said this, any, any leper that walks down a market street, I, will, I refuse to eat or buy anything from that market street. Because once you got leprosy, it was a scourge. It was a plague. It was, and so there were lepers. All the lepers hung out together. Now, this man hears Jesus and he throws caution to the wind. It's illegal for him to approach Jesus and get close to him. And yet he has this boldness to do it. He has this boldness to do it. Here's the fill in the blank. Jesus healed the unclean is the first fill in the blank. The unclean. It's funny, we're always afraid of pain, aren't we? we? When we get pain, we get pain meds. And here is this disease that actually has the opposite effect. You don't feel anything. You don't feel pain. So you're damaging your body. In fact, there's, there's a, a modern uh, a story of a man who wrote a book as a leper, but he kept washing his face in, with hot water. He didn't know how hot it was. 
Do you know he made himself blind? He was using scalding hot water. His hands didn't feel it, and he kept putting it on his face. His face couldn't feel it. And after washing his face a few times with scalding water, he permanently damaged his eyes and became blind. That is the nastiness of leprosy. And here this this man comes, and he asks Jesus to heal him. Now, let's look at the next slide, because this is where it gets to be an object lesson. Leprosy, John MacArthur said this, Leprosy is a graphic illustration of sin. Like leprosy, sin infects the whole person. It's ugly, loathsome, corrupting, contaminating, alienating, and incurable by man. Leopards in ancient Israel were vivid object lessons of sin. Every time, and, and when you, if you were a leper and you wanted to just walk into this building, you have to shout, unclean, unclean, unclean. And that gave you a warning to run away. You know what's also interesting in the text? Even though this is a physical disease, nowhere in the Bible is someone healed of leprosy. They are always cleansed of leprosy. Ah, that's that thing. You can't be healed of your sin, but you can be cleansed of your sin. Do you realize that? You can be cleansed, but you can't be healed. That's why leprosy is such a graphic illustration of sin. And notice, go back to the text. He does not even have the boldness to say, heal me. Go back to the text. Look at verse, verse, at the end of verse 2. He says, Lord, if you will, if you're willing, you can make me clean. He doesn't even ask. He just, God, you can do this. You can do this. So look at the next slide. He comes... In this text, with confidence that Jesus can do it, he comes confident enough to to say, will you? He came with reverence. What does it say? It says he came to him and knelt before him. And it says he came with humility. He does not be presumptuous and ask for the healing. He just says, I know you can do this. I know you can make me clean. And he came with faith. Those four powerful things he comes to Jesus with. And how does Jesus heal him? Say it louder. He touches him. This man might not have had human contact with another human being for a number of years. And for Je- Jesus could have said, be healed. Jesus could have said, go wash in a pool and be healed. He could have said any of that, but Jesus does what? He purposely touches the human being. That human being had not felt another person's touch in so long. And what happens in the text? He immediately, his leprosy was cleansed. It wasn't healed, it was cleansed. I hope you can see that Leprosy is an object lesson of sin because sin can dull your heart. Did you know that? The more you're involved in sin, the more you become dulled to its consequences. And pretty soon you're knee deep in a whole bunch of dysfunction. 
that's damaging your life. You know people right now whose lives are totally out of control because they are numb to the sin that's in their life. They don't even know better. They're damaging themselves. They're damaging their relationships. They're damaging other people because they're oblivious that they're even causing pain. What happens next? Let's go back to the text. These four groups, beginning at verse 5. When he had entered Capernaum, a centurion, a centurion is a guy who's, who's in charge of a hundred men. You can see the word century in it. He's in charge of a hundred men. He came forward to him, appealing to him, Lord, my servant is lying paralyzed at home. And by the way, the word for servant means it's a child. It is a young person that is, is lying home paralyzed and suffering terribly. Verse 7, and he said, I will come and heal him. But look what the centurion says. Lord, I am not worthy to have you come under my roof, but only say the word and my servant will be healed. For I too am a man under authority, with soldiers under me. I say to one, go, and he goes. And to another, come, and he comes. And to my servant, do this, and he does it. Verse 10. When Jesus heard this, he marveled, and he said to those who followed him, truly, I tell you, with no one in Israel have I found such faith. I don't know how how the disciples felt at that moment, but he basically turns to the people that are following him, his disciples, and says, this man's got faith, you've got squat. I mean, he just turned to him and says, no one in all of Israel have I found such great faith. And then he says in verse 11, I tell you, many will come from the east and west and recline at table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven, while the sons of the kingdom will be thrown into the outer darkness, and in that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And he said to the centurion, Jesus said to the centurion, go, let it be done for you as you have, what does your version say? As you have believed. And the servant was healed at that very moment. Here's the fill in the blank. We go from someone who is unclean and Jesus healed the, un, the unworthy. I told you we were going to take a different perspective on this. If you go back to the text and look carefully at verse 8, the soldier says, Lord, I am not worthy to have you come under my roof. I'm not worthy. Tammy and I have a good friend that died a, a few weeks ago. But before he died, he was in the hospital. He had been in the hospital for 30 days. And he called me. And he says, I'm not sure if I'm saved. I don't know if I have salvation. Now, I've known Bill for a long, long time. You talk about a godly man that loves Jesus, has this great baritone voice. He just rocks it as a Christian. 
And he is doubting whether he is going to heaven right now. And I said, Bill, do you believe in Jesus, the work that he did? He said, oh, absolutely. No hesitation. Do you believe that his blood covers you? Oh, absolutely. Do you believe that you are covered with his righteousness? Yes. I said, you know what you're feeling right now? You're not feeling worthy. And Bill, none of us feel worthy. We're not worthy to untie the shoelaces of Jesus. But that's what makes grace grace. And when we start to focus on, I'm not worthy of heaven. I doubt if I get to go to heaven. You know the things I've done? You know the things I've said? You know the things I've harbored in my heart? You know the nasty things? I am not worthy of heaven. Guess what? We're not. But Jesus is. And do you notice he says, don't come to my house. But each and, one, each and every one of us know that Jesus comes into our house. He comes into our heart. He makes his abode here. And even though we don't feel worthy, he says, I've got it covered. So here's the next slide. Yes, we're unworthy. But if it leads to gratefulness, put a smile on your face. Because if you think you're worthy of heaven, that means you're not going. Because you're trusting in your righteousness. You're trusting on how good you lived. You're trusting in the works of man. You're trusting in something that's added to the cross. It is only the blood of Jesus. And so we're all unworthy. And once we say, you know, I am unworthy. If Bill Gates decided today to call me and give me half a billion dollars... Because I was a preacher. Do you think I'd feel worthy of receiving half a billion dollars? I know all of you are like, take it, take it. I'm not going to feel worthy. You don't feel worthy. But when that worthiness turns into gratefulness, it draws you closer to Jesus. Are you with me? But there's a whole lot of people outside these walls, and they feel unworthy, and they should, but their unworthiness makes them what? They want to run from Him, because somehow they think they're in trouble. Somehow God's out to get them. God did not enter our world to get us. He entered our world to save us. Are you, are you with me on that? And so, yeah, and so I, I told Bill, I said, Bill, on the phone, you know, he lives in Missouri, I just said, Bill, we're not worthy, but Jesus has lived in you for the last 40 years. You're going to heaven because of Jesus, not because of you. And you know, once his mind started to focus on Jesus' grace instead of his unworthiness, you know what to happened to his joy? You know what happened to his peace? You know what happened to his countenance? It all sprang back up. And he died going into that veil. Do you notice the song that we sang? My anchor holds within the veil. Do you know that's that's kind of old English? That means that song meant I am secure when I go through death's door. That's what the veil is. When you go through the veil, it means you've gone through death. 
My anchor holds within the veil. Why? Because of Jesus. And so people come. Yeah, you might feel unworthy. That's okay. Make your unworthiness turn into gratefulness. Yeah, I'm not worthy of half a billion dollars. <laughs> That's just ridiculous. I'm not worthy of eternal life. But thanks be to God who pours out His love generously upon us through Christ Jesus and seated us in the heavenlies with every spiritual blessing there is. Woohoo! Let's go back to the text. Verse 14. Verse 14. And when Jesus entered Peter's house, he saw his mother-in-law lying sick with a fever. That's Peter's mother-in-law. So Peter's father-in-law is apparently dead. Mom has come to live with the son. Now who is Peter? Do you know who Peter is? Is he not one of the, uh, Jesus' closest associates? When we think of the inner three, you think of who? Peter, John, right? And James, let's not forget James. But Peter is like Jesus' right hand. Now he puts his foot in his mouth all the time when he talks and does a lot of crazy things. But he is Jesus' right hand man, so to speak. And his mother-in-law is sick. And what does Jesus do? He goes in and he heals her. And the fever left her. He touched her hand. And the fever left her and she rose and what did she begin to do? What? She began to serve them. I don't know if you've ever recovered from a high fever. Do you want to jump up and, and clean the, your kitchen and start cooking? Do you want somebody that just had a fever to be cooking for you? Yeah, you know, you don't feel all that great. She feels so great, she hops up and she starts cooking, cleaning, and serving him. Here's the fill in the blank. Jesus healed the unpretentious. Big word. What does it mean? Well, let's talk about what pretentious means. Pretentious means you have airs, that you rate yourself a little higher than you should be rated. Does that make sense? Um, I'm the woman of the house. Of course he's going to heal me. I'm Peter's mother-in-law. Of course he's going to heal me. I'm special. I deserve to be healed. I deserve that job. I deserve salvation. I deserve, I, I, I deserve, deserve, deserve. Here's a pretentious. Making claim to or creating an appearance of, often undeserved, importance or distinction. Jesus heals the unpretentious. If you go to him demanding your rights, Jesus is going to say, hmm, you have an attitude problem, don't you? But Jesus looks for the humble of heart. And what did she do immediately after she got healed? She started to serve. That's an unpretentious person. You have pretentious people at work, and you all do, right? They think that the moon and sun and stars rises and sets according to them, and they don't 
have to do the work that you have to do. They push it off on you. Yeah, been there, done that. That's pretentiousness. Jesus doesn't heal the pretentious. He heals the unclean, the ones that are, are, are sick because of their sin. He heals the unworthy because if you think you're worthy, he's not going to be healing you. And he heals the unpretentious. But then let's go on in the text. Verse 16. That evening, after the Sermon on the Mount, or after that day, we believe that it was Sabbath day, and that's why nobody was walking far distances. But when evening came, the sun came down, Sabbath was over, you had, I don't know how many people descend upon this house. It says, that evening they brought to him many who were oppressed by demons, and he cast out the spirits with a word and healed all who were sick. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. He took our illnesses and bore our diseases. You know what, Jesus? He healed the unclean. He healed the unworthy. He healed the unpretentious. And now he's going to heal just the unhealthy. He's going to heal the unhealthy. I know some really physically fit people that are really dysfunctional. Do you? I know some people who have terrible bodies, but boy, they're spiritually on top of it, right? No matter what kind of healing that these people were looking for, it could have been emotional. It could have been mental. It could have been spiritual with the demons. It could have been physical. And Jesus does what? He heals them all. I've said this a thousand times, and it's worth repeating. The, the trap of dysfunction is you don't know you're dysfunctional. Did you know that? You don't know you're dysfunctional, so you don't know that you're broken. You don't know that you need healing. You don't know that you're sick. You don't know that you're unclean. You don't know any of those things. And Jesus comes along and heals all of that. He opens our eyes and makes us this new creation and heals us completely. Jesus heals the unclean. You know you're dirty. You know you're rags of righteousness. I don't mean to be graphic, but I'm going to be graphic here just for a minute. But it's in the Bible, so if you want to blame anybody, you blame God, okay? But it, it's kind of, it's gross and disgusting. I'm, going to, I'm just going to warn you. The Old Testament says that our righteousness is like a minstrel rag. That's the word that's used in the Hebrew. If we think that we're pretty clean, we're not clean. But Jesus cleans the ones that come to him. Isn't that good news? No matter what your past is, no matter what your history is, no matter who you are, he wants to heal you. And then this unworthiness, 
yeah, you're unworthy, but only His love can overwhelm you so that He comes and starts to live in your house. And He heals the unpretentious, the ones that are humble. Remember last week we talked about the turnstile, that the path that's narrow and the path that's wide, when it's wide, lots of people can go through that. You can take lots of people. But in a turnstile, you go individually. You have to make the decision. And that decision is based on you coming to Christ and saying, will you make me clean? I am unworthy. And then Jesus says, yes, I will. I'm going to overwhelm you with love so you don't even think about your unworthiness anymore and all you think about is my grace. Boy, if you're focusing your day on His grace, you're going to have a good day. If you're focusing your, your mind on your unworthiness, you're going to have a lousy day, aren't you? Because the devil is there to tell you you're ugly. The devil is there to tell you you're not worth it. The devil is there to whisper to you, you ain't saved. And we come back to this passage, and he cleans the uncleanable. Nobody has ever cured leprosy. Did you know that? It's uncurable. They can treat it today, but it can never be cured. Jesus cures the uncurable. Jesus makes the unworthy worthy by his adoption into his kingdom. And the unpretentious get up, and all they have is gratefulness. And the last is the unhealthy. He makes us whole again. That's why I started this message off by telling you a little bit about the type of person I was 35 years ago. And I am surprised that this woman said, I do. That she said, yes. But God, through his power, makes us healthier. Spiritually healthy. Not always physical. Remember, Paul had a thorn in his side and he prayed three times, Lord, take this physical affliction away from me. And what was Paul told? My grace is sufficient for you. But he had everything in the spiritual realm. Everything. Jesus is good. And he loves us so much. And I don't, now I have to ask the question, who are you today? Are you the leper? Are you the centurion soldier? Are you Peter's mother-in-law? Are you just one of the many that came for a healing of some kind? You're going to find yourself in one of those categories. Don't let Satan steal any longer from you. And remember who you are and who you belong to so that you can face each day focusing on His grace. Let me pray. Father.